Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Melissa Lamson, founder of Lamson Consulting. And if you want to learn how to build better relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Melissa Lamson. She's the CEO of Lamson Consulting and works with successful leaders to refine their professional skills and create inclusive workplaces. She knows that when leaders present the best version of themselves, individuals, teams, and the organization wins. Melissa has a master's in intercultural relations, and she founded companies in Europe and the U.S. and has clients and projects in over 40 countries and has authored six books. Guys, I can't wait for you to listen in on this conversation that I have with Melissa. But first, really quickly, if you're a six or seven figure entrepreneur and you know that you need a podcast, but you just don't know how to get it out into the world and you don't have the time or the team or the resources to figure out all the techie stuff, don't worry about it. Let me and my team do that for you so that you can focus on what you're good at, which is servicing your clients. And we can focus on what we're good at, which is building world-class chart-topping podcasts. Head over to travischapelcom slash make my podcast to see if we would be a good fit to build your show 
for you. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here, Travis. Okay, so let's go ahead and build some context. Uh, it's like we, what we like to do at the beginning of all of these interviews and uh, talk, talk about what it was like to be, let's let's say 11, 12-year-old Melissa. What were you up to back then? Uh, any, you know, uh, con- contextual background pieces, you know, family life? Did you enjoy school? Were you up to, you know, sports? Like, talk to me about 11, 12-year-old Melissa. Uh, that's a good question. I played soccer. I think I was still into roller skating at that time. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I enjoyed school. It's funny. I just told this story recently that I I went to kind of an alternative school until third grade, and then I went to a, a you know a traditional public school, um, elementary school, and when and the first day the teacher was sitting there we're all sitting in rows in desks as you do in a traditional school and i had never done that before and the teacher was telling us all the rules what we could and couldn't do and then she says so if you're bad one of the punishments is you're going to have to stay after school and i thought oh my gosh what happens like they must lock you in the building and you can't get out like how do you get out of the building because <laughs> staying after school sounds terrible right yeah so i go up to her and i said how do you get out of the building if you get in trouble and you have to stay after school? She's like, what? And I said, how do you get out of the building if you're locked in the building? She's like, no, no, I'm here with you. And I thought, that sounds great because my, my parents literally had to drag me out of the other school. I never wanted to leave. It was fabulous. And I got lots of, of one-on-one attention with my teachers, which was also really appreciated. And it was my first experience being in school where they actually are conditioning you to not want to be in school, right? Like you're going to have to stay after school as a punishment, right? Right. And I thought, oh my gosh, it it was just a, I can remember it like yesterday. It was a big flip around. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. So did did you always enjoy school then? Like the, just going to school or the activities, the academic side of it? Mm, Yes and no. Um, I enjoyed the social side of it. I enjoyed some of the learning, but I didn't necessarily want to go to college. So when I was in high school, I thought I wasn't going to go and I kind of rebelled a little bit. My my family is an academic family. My father's a professor. My mother worked at the university and, and I knew that in some ways it would be one way to rebel. <laughs> they yeah, were hitting right. parents, so there were not a lot of chances to rebel. So I thought at least <laughs> if I didn't go to college. And so I told my dad that at one point, and he said, uh, no, you're definitely going. And then once I got into college, I loved it. I love learning. I loved okay. being in college and went on to do my master's. And thank goodness he put his foot, <laughs> foot down on that. What, what did you end up going, for school, going to school for? So I was an art major uh, when I did my BA and then quickly realized in my first career that that wasn't going to be the most practical way to raise money. <laughs> wasn't going to pay the bills, yeah. <laughs> and so even though I was working in, as, in art administration and art galleries and so forth, but still um, I ended up doing a master's in intercultural relations, which also doesn't sound to be the most practical, but there was a focus on business economics, the study of culture, how to do business internationally. Um, and that those were all skills that obviously I apply even today. Well, may not, maybe not obviously to your listeners yet, but sure. those are all skills that I apply to my business today. So talk to me about your college experience. You said you had a lot of fun in that time period. So what, what, what do you think made that fun for you or made that an enjoyable experience overall? Yes. Besides all the partying, which of course a lot of college <laughs> students do. No, yeah. we actually weren't that, that bad. But I think, I guess the most, 
the most rewarding is that I lived in a house with nine other women who we are all still friends today. In fact, we get on Zoom calls today and we see each other once a year. And we actually had a theme for our house around learning and learning about the world. And so we would spend time kind of studying and thinking and talking about concepts around the world. And that really, it's interesting to be doing that today because we, we do that obviously this particular time with COVID-19 and having discussions about what does this mean and what does this mean for the future and how is this going to evolve? And that was something that was really interesting for me during university to do that uh, with that group of women. And we're, we're all totally different from each other in terms of career paths and uh, lifestyle and we all live in different states, but we, we all come together on this point of really sharing that experience of, of being interested in the world, interested in learning and really caring about how community helps each other and serves each other. Yeah, so it's been great. I'm, I'm curious as to why you think you had a, uh, you know, inclination toward learning in, in, in not, not just in, you know, the university setting where you were, but, you know, you all came together and decided that we were going, that you were going to, you know, do, it seems like more self-education. Do, do, yes. do you think that that's something that was kind of just in your DNA or, or did you have to really work on wanting that? That's a really good question. Wow, I've never even thought about this before. So this is really fun to, to think about. I would say that, I guess for me personally, I was, because growing up in an academic family, I was always really interested in questioning and understanding and critical thinking and looking at things from multiple perspectives. And so I think even the university, I mean, I went to Earlham College, which is a small liberal arts college, and, I, and the, the community there uh, within the college was really about thinking alternatively, thinking differently. Like we had a peace yeah. and global studies program and every morning the professor would say, write down how you feel about the world right now, like to start the class. And Interesting. I really, I appreciated it, you know, because we, it forced us to think outside the box. Yeah. Right. Right. And it, it forces you to take on alternate perspectives, take yes. on a different view of how the world works and operates. That's right. That's right. Sure. And I carried that through to my master's because relativism was something that we actually studied, you know, so right. practices across religions, across cultures, across all different dimensions of diversity, you know, what is that and of humanity that is, and what is really, what's acceptable? What do we judge? How do we judge it? Is it right to judge it? I mean, I, I find all those conversations and, and questions really interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and relativism meaning like that that truth is relative based on context and perspective. That's right. Exactly yeah. that. That's yeah. right. And, and I think it's such an important lesson to learn. Yeah, and it's particularly interesting today, right? Because I think now during COVID-19, we're all sort of like finding ourselves judging, right? Sure. Judging the politics, judging our communities, judging our friends, judging our parents, our kids or whoever um, about how they're handling things, how we're all adjusting, judging ourselves. And I find that fascinating to kind of keep being, just being very aware of where am I judging and why am I judging and trying to see that other person's perspective of mm. how they're handling things in the pandemic. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed, if you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you. That work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear what you think about how you can arrive at a truth that maybe, you know, isn't intrinsically truth. Maybe it's not absolute truth. It is more relative truth. But having had the perspective of looking at truth as if it is relative rather than assuming that it's absolute. How do you arrive at a truth that somebody that you know that maybe even close to you would just completely disagree with and be okay with that? Does that, does that question make sense? I, I just find that it's, it's more difficult for somebody that adopts multiple perspectives to arrive at a form of absolute truth in their <laughs> mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a very, that's a good question. That probably is the question. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I do so much work in terms of coaching and trying to understand the way people communicate and go, working across differences in personality, differences in culture, um, differences in all di- dimensions of diversity, I, that's the question that comes up is how do you set a standard or create a guideline or operate towards one truth when there are multiple perspectives, right? And those perspectives aren't necessarily wrong. Um, hmm. And I guess I would say it's, it's important to negotiate that. I think it's, it's important to hear the different perspectives, understand why they exist and what the relevance is, and then to kind of make a decision. Can we move forward? Can we all agree to move forward this way, even if we don't necessarily all agree? Right, as as long yeah. as it's obviously not, you know, hurting other people sure, or right. or devastating to the business in some way. Um, but I think it's important. Like a lot of times, we get the question of, well, should we as a as a as a company, should we all operate t- toward with this gu- this set of guidelines or this toward this standard globally? And I always say, well, what makes sense for the market you're operating in? So if it makes sense in the U.S. market to operate with that standard and you're successful there, fantastic, keep doing that. But if that doesn't work in China, if it doesn't work in Brazil, then you may want to allow those markets to do what is, right? Mm -hmm. So allow them to operate within their truth. Yeah, 
Yeah. There's so many important lessons to take away from that. That's probably a rabbit hole of a conversation that would lead us into hours of discussion. So in an, in an interest to keep this more about uh, business entrepreneurship, relationships, and things like that, um, let's go ahead and talk about, okay, so uh, the next step in the story for you. So you uh, are in college, you have an amazing experience. It sounds like you had a lot of fun. Get your master's degree. What do you do next? After master's. Yes. So, yes, I worked in Boston for about three years where I had my first real hardcore experience, I would say, with the corporate world in terms of the clients that we were working for, State Street Global Advisors, United Airlines, Gillette at the time. Um, And then I had the opportunity on the personal side, uh, just randomly attended a barbecue and there happened to be uh, Germans who were hosting it, people from Germany hosting it. And they said, and I got to know them and, and they were telling me about Germany and they said, wow, what you do there is pretty interesting. Uh, that would be great for the, for the market in Germany. So I had the opportunity to move there and made the decision to um, oh. and just moved there kind of randomly. Didn't know anything about Germany, didn't, hadn't learned German. I'd spent some time in Europe, but didn't never Germany. And so I moved there and had the opportunity to start my business. I was doing consulting and training and coaching. And then... Um, after about five years, I started a second business there in diversity and inclusion, and that we were really the first in both fields, um, especially in diversity and inclusion, because that really wasn't a topic then, um, and had the chance to run two companies and be living and working and learning German and, <laughs> and so, so wait, wait, built wait, my wait, life before, there for 10 I was, years. I was going to say, I feel like we glanced over that. And <laughs> it's such a huge, completely life-altering decision that 99% of people would never make. So like you, you get a, you get a, you know, <laughs> get the, the quote unquote, good, safe job right out of college at a mm-hmm. big firm and you're making money and then you're at a party and some German people are like, yeah, Germany's cool. So you're like, all right, I guess I'll quit my job, move to Germany and start a business. Like, why? Like, what, what was the thought process for you? You know, it obviously had to be something that was unsettling to you about the work that you were doing in order to convince you that moving to a different, yes. completely different freaking country, learning a new language and mastering a new culture was worth it rather than like staying in your comfort zone, making good money and, you know, working for the company you're working. You're, well, you're very insightful, <laughs> Travis. Um, yes. Well, I mean, let me, to clarify, I was, um, I wasn't working for a big corporation. I was working for someone who's a, who's a me right now, um, okay. who was just top in her field. And she basically brought me in as an associate in her company. And we then, so I've almost always been external, but I've always, I sort of basically started my career, if you will, as a consultant trainer, which is interesting because a lot of people do work yeah. internally for a firm 10, 20 years, and then they go out on their own. Um, and I took a kind of an alternative path there. So I, I did have that experience, but you're right. To that point, I was interested in how the, the, the world... So at the time, we were doing more um, anti-sexual harassment. We were doing more local topics around diversity in the US, so race and and, and gender and sexual orientation and things like that were the types of trainings we were doing. And while that was very important and interesting, it, it wasn't global. And so I was very, very curious about this. What is happening in the world? How are cultures seeing this? Mm-hmm. And so I anyway had this kind of angle towards international and global. I sort of have all my life. My father was a Spanish professor. So we got a, the opportunity to travel quite a bit to other Spanish speaking countries and experience other cultures. And so that was mm-hmm. sort of in my DNA. So moving to Europe wasn't dominant 
daunting exactly. Uh, but I, I did, I, I did fall in love with a German man here in the U S and so he said, Hey, why don't you come over and let's see how it goes. Right. God, and okay. I said, Hey, that would be cool. Let's, let's, let me check it out and see. And while the relationship only lasted about a year or so, I then, I was already convinced that being in Europe was a place to be. The nice thing about being based in Europe is that it's really easy to access the world from Europe. So hmm, we're, yeah. the U.S. is still a little bit isolated that sure, way. Secluded, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I had the opportunity to work on projects in over 40 countries. So yeah. with that kind of experience, I mean, there was no way I was coming back. But you know, love will take you, <laughs> take you different <laughs> directions. Yeah. So there we go. Okay. So, so we pieced together a little bit of that now, but, but I mean, still like it, it's still something that I just find fascinating that exists within certain people to just stretch beyond the limits of what most people would view as being the safe or comfortable route. And that obviously sure. is not the route that you ended up taking. When you moved right. over there, you said that you didn't start working for somebody else. You started your own company. Was that strategic yes. or was it just like, I don't know how I'm going to find a job in a, lang- in, a comp- in a country where I don't speak the primary language or, or, or was it very much like, a, no, this is what I want to do? Well, I wish I could say it was a little more strategic, but it was a little bit like, well, you know, why don't I just try this? Uh, yeah. Because it would be hard to find a job um, in Germany and not knowing the language. But I'd had such a strong passion for what I had been doing for three years in, in the US after my master's that I was like, I, I hope I can do it here because I don't really want to give that up. And so I gotcha. contacted Gillette, Gillette over there. I contacted Siemens over there. I, I just used my network, I guess, to, your, to, the, to the point of your podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really leveraged my network in the US and the big cor- global corporate space to get work in Germany. So I just pounded the pavement, knocked on doors, developed relationships, and that's really how it all started. Got it. Got it. So let's talk about that for a second. When you say you pounded the pavement and knocked on doors and built relationships, what exactly tactically and practically does that mean? Yeah. Well, literally we were pounding the pavement then because we didn't, <laughs> we didn't use the internet or email yeah, sure. quite as much. So, uh, no, but I mean, I was sending emails. I was talking to people in the States and saying, could you make introductions to people here or there in Germany? Um, and then uh, just calling and, and uh, emailing and suggesting meetings. And so I just did as like many meetings cold. as I possibly could, all cold. Well, yeah. cold and some warm introductions, but okay. I would say 80% cold. Um, and that's difficult, particularly in Europe, because p- everything is very much third-party introduction and relationship-based, and they're mm. not really used to an American cold calling them, which I think kind of worked to my advantage. And then coming back to your earlier point, I think because I didn't know how it worked in Germany. And I was so naive to a certain extent that I actually was successful in spite of myself because I didn't have any insecurity. I just used the tools and strategies that I would use in the US. And I just kind of, you know, bulldozed my way into Germany. And I think it shocked them so much that they were like, wow, no one ever called cold calls me. I guess I'll just talk to her. Yeah. (laughs) There's something to be said for that too. And I think that that exists in a variety of ways. And that's why um, sometimes it can be really, really important to bring outside eyes into like the projects and things that you're working on, uh, you know, that's right. in, in whatever industry that you're in, because sometimes you might find that somebody has an expertise in something that you've never even thought about doing just because your particular industry doesn't do things that way. 
And uh, so bringing in the, that, that's why, that's why it's so important to have uh, a network of people that are not just the same people that you communicate with on a daily basis, or they're in the same industry or whatever. You want to go, you know, multi-industry and across certain industries and different cultures and countries and, and, uh, and, and all the different forms of, of diversity there just, just in order to be able to get glimpses into what works for other people that might mm-hmm. work for you that you've never even thought about doing. And, uh, and, that, and that's such a perfect example of that. And you, you, like you, you have those naive eyes, right? You like, you don't know the standards <laughs> right. or the rules or the regulations or the unspoken right. agreements. Like you don't know any of that stuff, so, which serves to your advantage because you don't automatically turn down totally that's viable right options or plans just based on the fact that, oh, this is not how people do things. You know, it's like, well, who exactly. said that? And who, like, who, who changes that rule? You know, only the person who decides to not listen to it can change that. And if exactly. you don't know that it's wrong, then you don't even know that you're not listening to something. You're just going after what you think makes the most sense. Yeah. And it was disruption for real. I mean, in terms of an, you know, talk about an entrepreneur, um, it was, it was very uncommon to have a woman, especially a young woman yeah. from another country, just kind of go to networking events and go to and, and meet people and have meetings and say, you know, I'm starting a business here. That was almost right. unheard of. There right. was very few people who were doing that outside like musicians or actors, sure. you know, um, and Which probably so, made it super interesting. It, it did. And I think that's why people were actually willing to talk to me like, who is this creature who just thinks she, she can right. start her business here? And I got really, really lucky. I met a lot of interesting people and had great clients. Um, and I, yeah. was, I was, it was fun. And I I always understand there's a certain amount of luck that's involved in in those types of things. But also, you know, the saying, the harder I work, the luckier I get reigns true. And and even in that scenario where you're just like, well, you know, I got lucky. And it's like, well, I mean, you kind of moved to a different country, started a new business and cold (laughs) called and knocked on doors until people gave you business. Like that sounds like hard work turning into success, not necessarily like, oh, you know, because I think I think sometimes we as entrepreneurs will say that I got lucky, you know, almost as like a a form of humility uh, sometimes and you just don't want to feel like you're like talking about the awesome things that you did. So you're just like, yeah, you know, mix in a little bit of luck there. And like I said, I understand luck has something to do with it, but also like, I, I don't want to give, sometimes I want to make sure that we're not giving the impression that yes. it's just a matter of that's luck. That's a great point. You know what I mean? No, that's a great point. Well, I would have to say um, there are a couple of things too. I really like people and I like, and I build relationships with people well, and I'm, and I'm pretty good at doing that internationally. So yeah. that's, that was a skill that I was really happy. And I don't feel comf- uncomfortable with people speaking languages that I don't understand. I don't feel uncomfortable with ambiguity or, and yeah. that's all, that's big. That's a big skill. Sure. And then, but having said that, certainly there were times when I was like, okay, am I going to buy bread or am I going to buy cheese this week? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't, right. it wasn't all roses all the time. I right. mean, certainly there was financial struggle in the beginning for sure. Um, just trying to get established. And then also there was also some interesting situations, you know, I'd come to a meeting and there would be, I'd be meeting a gentleman and he'd be like, oh yeah, great. This woman's like psyched to meet me for this lunch. And he'd immediately launch into personal stuff. And I'd be like, um, sorry, this isn't a personal conversation. Like right. if you want to talk business, great. And if not, I'm not interested in dating you. So right. <laughs> we got to move on. And I had to learn how to get really good at, at setting boundaries and being really clear about that 
in yeah. the beginning. So and probably so yeah, meeting no, people too, and and oh, seeing yeah. like what their intentions are if they're there for a, a reason that you're not there for. That's like you, right. You start to get really intuitive, and your emotional intelligence goes to the roof as well. That's right. So tell me about what you got going on now, Melissa, what you're up to these days and how we can learn more about you and what you're doing. Well, primarily my business is uh, career and leadership coaching, executive coaching, and also non-executives. <laughs> um, so helping people pivot and transform their careers, uh, lean into new promotions or new types of positions or projects. And then um, I also provide a, a series of trainings for new managers and aspiring managers. In fact, my program's used at uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, um, Google, and several other firms in uh, Silicon Valley primarily, but also, also all across the world, uh, the US and the world. And um, just launching that in a, as a virtual, in a virtual format now. So it'll be an online course for managers, which I'm excited about. So you can check that out. Uh, my website is lamsonconsulting.com. So L-A-M-S-O-N consulting.com. So my last name. And uh, certainly always happy to connect on LinkedIn and or Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. So so for everything that you want to learn about, Melissa, head over to lamsonconsulting.com, L-A-M-S-O-N consulting.com. Melissa, before we go, I have to ask you this one question because it's the question that I ask every guest that ever has ever come on the show and it always provides a good conversation. So who you know or what you know, Melissa, which of those two is more important? And yes, you have to pick one. Who you know, for sure. Okay. And why is that? No question. Because your network is worth everything. And if people like you and they know you and they trust you, they will recommend you. And your content is, of course, important, but people have to know about it. And if they don't, then you can't get it out there. So it's critical that you build those relationships and let people know who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about. And then before, Absolutely. before we sign off here, give me, give me your best relationship building tip. We, we didn't get to into uh, as much into the practicality of building relationships and it's definitely a strength of yours. So um, I, I yes. we didn't at least touch on one or two of those things. So give me, you know, top one or two things that come to your mind when it comes to building good relationships. Yes. And I teach networking and a lot of people who are, don't really feel comfortable with networking. It's because they always say, I don't know what to say. And I go, well, ask. I mean, lean in and ask questions. People love to talk about themselves. They love to share their story um, and ask interesting questions, not just like, what do you do? But, you know, what's the last great book you just read? Or if you could take anything to the moon, what would it be, right? <laughs> or if you got to travel to the moon, who would you travel with? Just questions that are thought provoking and outside the box and really show that you're interested. And so I would say with that, not only ask, is really listen. Don't be thinking about the next thing that you want to say, but really think to yourself, I want to hear what this person is saying. And I want to dial into that because people can tell whether you're really listening or not. Um, so ask and listen. Love it. Love it. And I, I would echo those points so much because it, it, there's so many examples that I could pull from my life of, of times where I talked too much and ruined an opportunity and times where I did the <laughs> correct thing, which was to ask questions, be genuinely curious and interested in other people's lives and, uh, and actually listen to the responses. And there's so much to be said 
for saying so little of yourself, you know? So, um, yeah, so it sounds like, you know, we, we would definitely have a conversation that would last a lot longer than this one did. And maybe at some point in the future, we can make that happen. Uh, but I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And I know the audience got a lot from this and I had a blast chatting with you. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Travis. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group, dozens of video lessons on networking, monthly calls, there's accountability crews, and more, all for the low investment of just $99 a month. So head over to BYNInnerCircle.com to jump in. That's BYNInnerCircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. See you next time. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.